How are you doing? The sun is high and long in the sky. The roses are waning, and the daylilies in their burning colors are beginning. Hot days, warm nights, and the night chorus of frogs and insects is strong. Summer is here in temperature and in session, the first session of which is about to begin. As grade school children are about to hang up school for the year and melt into summer days, the college is ramping back up into another round of instruction, summer one and summer two. Not so sure the living is easy for those of us taking or teaching several courses so soon. Are you teaching this summer or are you away from the classroom? What does the summer season mean to you in our year together? This might be one of our most contradictory academic seasons, as it might be a tangle of work, fun, travel, classroom, planning, and attempting. What's it like for you this year? Welcome back to our ongoing exploration of the ecosystem of our teaching community at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm Claire Hull, your host. What do you teach? How do you teach it? How could we learn from each other? This is Instructional Ecology. This is our last full-length conversation for the first season of Instructional Ecology. It's with Christine Witkowski, who teaches sociology and geography in the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. Our conversation is intensely connected to the metaphor of ecology and interdependence. Her teaching is thoroughly integrated into her life and her values and her imagination. All of these pieces of her identity touch each other. She did me the honor, as others have, of considering my questions carefully and answering honestly and thoughtfully. We talk about how important it is to have the trust in each other to make this kind of exchange possible. How liberating it is to have a trustworthy environment to think and speak and share. She thinks so much about creating classroom communities that open up space for discovery and learning. The care that professors put into creating their classroom community can provide liberation. Liberation of mind, of speech, of curiosity and possibility. Christine and I think together about the revolutionary act of care and education for students and for faculty. Let's spend some time with sociology. My name is Christine Witkowski. I teach sociology in the School of Social and Behavioral Sciences. I've been teaching in higher education for about 18 years and I've taught at Midlands Tech for most of that time. I started teaching as a full-time instructor in 2013. So I usually teach Introduction to Sociology, Sociology of the Family, I love to teach social problems, although I'm not currently teaching it. And until recently, I taught world geography, but I've been able to focus more on sociology in the last year or so. The School of Social and Behavioral Sciences focuses upon improving students' understanding of human social behavior. We have a variety of courses in our school, and they all focus on teaching about either social structures or social processes, or both. Uh, depending on the subject area. So let's make that more practical. How does it really help students? Well, sociology classes help students better understand 
the social world they live in so they can more effectively navigate their personal, professional, and civic lives. And that's what we can offer to our students in a sociology class. Christine, thank you so much for being here. I always appreciate people taking time. I don't know that there's ever, is there ever a good time to take time <laughs> during a semester? <laughs> is there a magical season during the semester that you think, oh, there's oceans of time? There's, I was thinking on my way to uh, sitting down with you that there's, that's something we all lack all the time is time. But I would say the middle of the semester is always easier than the beginning and the end. And the end. So, um, speaking of the beginning of the semesters when, you know, things are very uncertain, tell me about your beginnings in teaching. What, what drew you to teaching? How did you first get into this, this line of work? So I think that I was interested in teaching from the time I was a little girl. I always had a love of learning. I had some outstanding teachers. I'll give a, a shout out to Miss Pam Zawilla, my first grade teacher who I still send Christmas cards to. Um, and she was just such a delightfully engaging teacher. And I didn't really know what I wanted to teach, but I always knew that I wanted to teach. So when I went off to undergrad, I thought I would go into teaching, but there was a huge crush of people going into teaching at the time. And I decided at the last minute to switch majors um, to business. And it took me a while to find my way back to the path of teaching, but I'm very happy I did. That's so interesting. You know, what we think a profession is when we're children Right, and then all of a sudden we get there and it's quite different. Um, what to you as a child was teaching and is there any part of that that still lives for you? Like what's, you know, because of course there are many things about teaching that children absolutely do not know. Marking papers, for example, right. yeah. committee work, <laughs> definitely not on the mind of a six year old. What's, right. what's, is there a bridge between the young self and, and the current self? Oh, that's such a nice question. I would say I was born with a Y in my mouth and my teachers helped to bring that out, right? I could, I was given the opportunity to ask questions and to be curious about my world. And that's something that I try and stimulate in my classes today is a curiosity on the part of my students about how the subject matter matters and how it can help make their lives better. And so when they're curious, it just um, brings me joy. And I love to see the lights go on in their head. Isn't it funny that I feel like there's this sort of dual discourse when we talk about raising children that curiosity is great, right? And also could kids just stop nagging us with, with all the questions over and over again? Um, so I feel like also curiosity is one of those words that we kind of t toss around without perhaps agreeing on what we're saying. So for you, curiosity in the classroom, what are you cultivating? Cultivating questions about what the concepts really mean and how the theories can really help us. Cultivating questions and ultimately their own answers about why the subject matter matters. 
um, and how it's relevant to our complex and sometimes um, dangerous seeming world, right? Difficult seeming world. I think when they can see how the subject matter can help them and help us solve the problems that we face as a species, then then that is a curiosity that has gone wildly in the right way. It sounds like you're encouraging not just the curiosity of asking what's this, you know, what's what is this thing in front of me, but to continue continue to ask even after perhaps you have an answer yeah oh yes uh, it, for sure keep digging and digging and really tell get me about that and, i mean you're particularly it. in sociology what does right. it mean to continue to dig in your discipline so it's about asking not so much where did the concept come from and who were the scholars that brought that concept to light or to life because I, I think that most of my students won't be sociology students so that's not such critical information for them but rather why does this concept matter how is it important in the grand scheme of things how does the concept relate to other concepts that we're learning in class? How can this help me solve the problems that I'm going to face in my personal life and my professional life and my civic life and in just my everyday interactions? I think it's super exciting when students start really digging deep on those on those questions um, and and reflecting really deeply about why it all matters. What happens when they get answers and those answers are, are difficult? Oh, that's the fun part. Like that's when it's so exciting. I have a student in class right now and some days he'll just stop and say, oh, I don't even know what to make with all this because it's so much. Um, I'm struggling to see how all the pieces fit together and and how this relates to the world. And, and But he says it with excitement. Like you could tell that it, he's challenged, but he's also super excited to be challenged in the way that he's challenged and I love that he's able to articulate that to our class it's just it makes it so fun and interesting and I think it makes the other students really dig dig in and start reflecting isn't it interesting each class is totally its own thing right because of the personalities and each one is different and it just depends who arrives in the room but I'm wondering you know all of us you know as teachers and personalities do have a sort of baseline that we do want to create. Um, what kind of community do you want your classroom to be? What are your goals for where you head beginning your first day? I work really hard to create a safe, secure environment where students are confident enough to ask questions and make contributions to the discussion of the subject matter and 
find ways to have the subject matter relate to their personal lives. So it's really got to be a place of safety and a, a place where they feel like they're part of a caring community of other people who may have opposing opinions and that's okay, right? It's got to it's got, it's got to be okay to have differences of opinions or to challenge each other, but to do so in a respectful and kind way. What I really try and foster in the classroom is what I aspire toward in our democratic society at large, which is a place where we can have diverse opinions and approaches, but do it in a respectful, courteous, civil sort of way. The vision that you've drawn for me is very clear. I can picture it um, not only in how people might speak to each other, but the words they might use or their behaviors. So how do you get there? I can see the end point that you work toward. Could you describe for me some of the, I, I, some of the steps? Are there activities or do you ever um, suggest ways that they could respond to each other? <clears throat> so I would say that the activities that I use are a lot of small group and large group discussions, sometimes involving getting up out of their chairs and moving around the room in response to like questions related to a values continuum, for instance. And in the process of doing that getting up and moving around, I'll sometimes pause and say, okay, just introduce yourself to the people around you. Um, get, you know, spend a minute getting to know each other and then we'll move on to the next question to have them move around the room. From the very beginning of the semester, I try and ignite their curiosity and interest, sometimes with really provocative themes, um, so that they they do want to think and be curious. And, and I'll start the conversation sometimes with really easy stuff in class where they don't feel so challenged, but then I move on to more difficult material. I'd say one of the biggest impediments to developing the kind of community that I'd like to have in class is the seating arrangement that is always sort of pre-structured in the classroom. And the reality is there's not always time or the desire on the part of students to move the, the desks around. But if I had a, in my dream world, I would have a circle or a semicircle of seating in class so that students could all see one another's face. That would be a real, real helpful in trying to develop the kind of community that I work really hard to develop. Hmm. What, what does seeing each other's faces do? What's different about that? I think it takes away some of the fear about how people might be reacting that you can't see. It adds a level of personal relationship that's hard to develop when all students are seeing is the back of another student's head. Without being able to see the facial expressions and the hand gestures and the body language, it's hard for people to fully engage with one another. And so this physical structure that we have in the room I think is something of an impediment for the highest caliber of, of a discussion oriented class that we could aim for.
is that something is that the kind of uh, uh, observation that you might sometimes bring to a student's attention is oh, that sure. within the purview of sociology absolutely yeah when we talk about social structures that's one of the things that we do discuss is how the social structures are about much more than just physical structures that humans create but that's part of it and so when we when I'm introducing the topic of social structures I'll sometimes use this as an example of how the way we arrange our physical space affects the dynamics of the interactions within that physical space and that provides a really nice segue then for helping them to understand how the way that we structure our political system or the way that we structure our economic system or the way that we structure our education system has similar outcomes in terms of the way people behave influencing the way people behave in, within those social structures so it's it's definitely central to the subject matter of sociology the container affects the contained yeah that's such a nice way of expressing it and I think I that so fits with what we're trying to um, think about in terms of our college community as a whole, right? How does the container of this MTC community affect not only the staff and the administration and the teachers, but also the students? And that's why I love the topic of your podcast, all being all about ecosystems. I think it's great. It's something I've been thinking about for years. Um, that is, to me, it's so vivid, especially in a community college, that it does have that very ecosystem-like feeling mm -hmm. to it. What to you, what to you does that open up um, for a way of thinking about a community college or our community? I think it opens up the the consideration of how much we need to rely on each other. There's this symbiosis that we don't necessarily even recognize between the different social positions at the college. We fail to recognize what one another is doing and how we can play a role, role together, working together to really create the best learning opportunities for our students and that's ultimately what we're after as an institution right is to to nurture the growth and development of our students but I think we forget how we all need to work together to to make the magic happen right we can't work in our individual little worlds our classrooms or our offices or what have you and have have the success that we're trying to achieve with our students. I I, I agree. Uh, and I mean, it, it's great to talk to you because you are you, the, an ecosystem is a metaphor, and as you know, there's a limit to to metaphors. They can they bring what's distant near, and they allow you to look at things in a new way. But they're rarely perfect analogies, right? We are not ants. You know, we are not. Um, you know, uh, we, we can't push this too far, but we absolutely can use the metaphors to do that. So um, for you, what are you, you said a moment ago, there, there are these symbiotic relationships that aren't getting observed or, you know, attended to. What do you think could happen that could strengthen a teaching community? Is it awareness, observation leading to, to what? What could happen? I think it's 
understanding, developing an understanding of all the important, I'm going to use the language of sociology here, of all the important social positions within our social structure. So there's people working in counseling services, for instance, and those people are critical for supporting my students when my students are running into personal crises, right? The more I can understand what the folks in counseling service have to offer, the more I can help my students when they run into troubles. The more that I can understand how the equal, uh, I think it's called the Equal Educational Opportunity Center, I might have that wrong. Um, the more I understand what they do, the more I can say, hey students, if you're struggling with your FAFSA or if you're trying to work on a scholarship application, here's the people who can help you. Right? So it helps me do my job better when I understand all the other positions at the college so that I can see where does that fit in helping students achieve their goals. And I really don't think we have a, a unless faculty go about trying to find the information, I don't know that we have a very good mechanism in place for helping faculty know what all those supportive relationships are. And I, I would love to see that come out in some of the future podcasts. I think that would be really fun, is to sort of highlight the supporting roles in addition to the teachers and maybe even the students. Right. Well, um, I, in my conversations with other instructors, I hear pieces of that, that there is um, an awareness, and I saw it very clearly in my mind's eye as you were talking, that a classroom is one of many centers, right? That, you know, that people converge on it, and it's a center for a particular kind of thing. But as the professor is uh, there uh, doing their part, which is the, the teaching, the mentoring, all of those things, there's also that position is only strengthened by an awareness that they are in a larger web so that when you see a student who perhaps is a veteran or perhaps may have a very difficult home life um, uh, or has just suffered a great reversal in their professional life um, that you can say uh, I and your instructor, and this is my purview, but there is another part of the college that can provide you with another dimension uh, of life. Um, and, you know, there's also a great tutoring service. You know, there's a writing center. Uh, you know, your ideas, I can really hear you talking about them in class, but I notice when you turn to paper, um, you could benefit with some new strategies. Um, how do you think we could bring that more t to actuality, to life, if you will? So one of the things that um, Bob Witkowski, who teaches public speaking, and I have been working on, and we've gotten the help from Laura Baker and, and Devin Henson's taken an interest in this, and some other folks have been involved, is creating a, a guide for, uh, I think we've called it the Student Success Resource Guide. Um, and it's a guide of all the different resources that are available at the college and some outside of the college. And originally Bob and I just created it for our classes, um, but we recently presented it to 
presented this guide to the, um, it was either Academic Affairs Council or the Dean's Council, I can't remember which one. And since then, Laura Baker from the library has done a great job of turning it into a lib guide. And so it's it's been a really cool way to try and make those resources more accessible to all the members of the college because they're there. Like we have this great base of resources, but not everyone knows what they are. And so I think trying to get the word out and making it easy for people to be able to access those resources is going to be really critical. But I also think something like your podcast could be really useful in raising people's awareness about what the different divisions or units, or I don't even know what the correct word is, but the different parts of our organization <laughs> um, have to offer, not only for students, but also to help faculty do a better job at what they need to do. How could we make these things more actionable for instructors to begin to activate for students? So one of the things that I did this semester, and this was a new project that Bob and I undertook this semester, was to create this resource guide. Um, I had it sort of in a, a bunch of different places in my courses before, but we, we created this guide where it's all in one place. And in addition to that, what I did, and, and I think Bob has done this as well, is create a, um, a self-assessment that students can uh, respond to to see what areas they need help with like what are, what are the challenges that you're facing so for instance one of the challenges that a lot of students face is difficulty being able to understand and comprehend the college level textbooks right so asking directly asking students a question or to respond to a question like do do you face challenges in comprehending college level uh, textbooks if they say yes then we can say here's a resource for you if they have trouble with uh, work-life balance or time management you know if they can actively say yes that's something that I struggle with then we can say okay here's the section of the resource guide for you so I've created both a self-assessment in D2L that that they can use but I also used Mentimeter which is sort of this interactive presentational tool to actually walk my students through um, answering these questions together and then it gives me the opportunity to talk about the resource guide and the different components in it. That's outstanding and that's something that we'll have on the webpage for this for this episode and um, to be able to simply go right there and do that and to have it be a, a self-assessment um, so that that takes away so many of the stakes of going and being assessed because plenty of us do not wish to be assessed um, especially <laughs> as adults um, yeah it's been great and you know that's one of the things that I think is really important when someone creates something like this share it right that's it, we all are so limited in time so if if faculty or staff create useful tools then then sharing those tools is so beneficial to everyone. You know, when I talk to a professor, um, it's, it's such a joy to, to step into their particular, not only their idiosyncratic world of their personality, but of their discipline. And so again, to sit with you inside the discipline of sociology, and so I hear things from that sort of perspective, and it made me suddenly wonder about the economy of sharing information at a community college in higher mm -hmm. ed, right? Because it's, I mean, I feel like 
in higher education, information is the currency. But as you know, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, as soon as you bring in currency, some things are worth more than others. Some things are rarer. Some things are scarce. Um, how do you, how does that strike you? Like, do, do you ever perceive the exchange of information at the college in that kind of lens? Like, do you observe how information flows in some places and others gets, you know, stopped up or isn't going different places for whatever reason? I do see a communication challenge that oftentimes occurs because to use the common vernacular we get so caught up in our own little silos that we forget what's going on outside of our silos and people don't always take time or have the time to really step into one another's shoes and understand where one another are coming from and so it does lead to some difficulties in communication and honestly I think the the biggest factor of that is just the scarcity of time in the modern industrialized world we're all so caught up in the frenzy of trying to get the things that we have to done that it's hard to find the time to step back and engage in the kind of communication and also reflection t that could bring us to a better place as as individuals as an institution is there any hope um, that we could somehow reduce the frantic nature of time these days hmm that is a very good question, Claire. It's something that I've thought about in my personal life for the last 30 years. You know, there's this movement called, it used to be called the Voluntary Simplicity Movement. And it was about trying to find a way to focus on the quality of life rather than the quantity of stuff. and in fitting in with that theme is the notion that we need to like take time right we need to to really take the time to invest in our relationships take the time to reflect take time to just be I don't know how to make that happen in the professional world though right because there's always always the the next thing that has to be done there's always something new being added to people's plates without the old things being removed from their plates I think it would have to be a real um, intentional effort on the part of the college leadership to slow down and make time to reflect and interact building that into the culture I think would be critical let's let's imagine that so if um, how could what would it look like if there was time built into your profession for reflection thoughtfulness rest dare I say <laughs> um, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, oh, that too far. Sorry, that's too revolutionary. Let's back up. If there was that pacing, if if pacing were something else, what on earth could that look like? Oh, my classes could be so much better, right? I could take time to think about what I need to improve in terms of content delivery, in terms of creating new activities, in terms of assessing students. I could have time to talk with my colleagues about how to accomplish the various goals that we're trying to accomplish. I mean, I'm really lucky in that my husband is also a teacher and works at the same institution. And so when we're sort of off the clock, we do end up talking about a lot of these things. But I don't think enough faculty really, and staff for that matter, in terms of the faculty-staff interactions, I don't think there's a time that's carved out for us to be able to say let's just let's just take time to reflect independently and together um, in a way that could be really fruitful for everyone because it's just always feels like such a rat race but there's maybe a way to be together which is productive in a way that is doesn't look like what we think of productivity being Right. And, you know, I think that Zoom offers us the tools to accomplish a lot of that. One of the challenges we face as an institution is we're we're separated by space so much. So some people are on Northeast Campus and some people are on Beltline and some people are on Airport. And it makes it difficult for us to really have time to interact with each other. But Zoom offers the opportunity. And I do think that that's been one of the benefits of the various kinds of learning communities is it's a time that is carved out for people to engage in that kind of interaction that can be really beneficial. But I don't think I want to overstate too much the the interaction part because I think a lot of what we're lacking is just the, t- the time on a personal level to, to stop and reflect as well. Right, to take counsel of yourself. Um, yeah. Like you said, I mean, you would have a, a chance to say, what is working? What's what's wrong? Or, or what could be that isn't currently? You know, right. that's sometimes quite yeah. a huge thing to ask. Well, and I think it's less about what's wrong, but more about what could be even better. And I think that's the approach that we need to take when we talk about things even like faculty enhancement. It's not that anyone's doing anything wrong, but are there ways that we could make our instruction even better, right? And that would not only help our students, but it would help us as faculty because our students would be more responsive, right? The more engaged my students are in the classroom, the more fun I have as a teacher, the more my students let me know what's working for them and what isn't working for them, the more I relish my job and I wish that all faculty had the opportunity to develop those relationships with students and bring out their best in their students so that they could then benefit from all the positive feedback from students because that's really what what makes us stay committed is when we feel like we're making a difference in our students lives. Which is something so common 
when you're in a community college that you are you are needed and people have arrived to to get it mm-hmm. uh, they know what they want and you know in light of our earlier conversation you're making me realize that curiosity can be absolutely dependent on the space to feel it oh that is such a good observation claire People really do need to have time to and the encouragement to be curious. As you said earlier, you know, children are have boundless curiosity, but that quickly becomes stifled when people sort of create conditions to turn that off, right? And well, how can so, you be curious when you have to when you have a deadline? <laughs> right. You know, it's not how could this happen? It's that it must happen. Uh, you know, I've got uh, forty five minutes to, you know, deliver this nugget of information, or to you know, I've got uh, two more days to finish uh, this thing that I have to draft for this, and so um, I've got to this you know two more weeks. We have to submit grades. Um, None of those things perhaps allow for the the space that mm-hmm. curiosity demands, and which we do give our students. And it's funny, again, like in this context, that's starting to feel luxurious. Uh, I think so too, yes. That is a luxury that, that maybe we as a society need to value that luxury over so many of our material possessions, right? The luxury of time for thought, time for self, time for relationships. And something you said reminded me of a lesson that I learned well from one of my graduates, my PhD instructors, which was um, really focus on the quality of what you're teaching rather than the quantity of what you're teaching. And I try and remember that. Like, I always feel like I've got to get so much content to my students. But there's other ways I can get it to my students, like through written lecture notes, so that we can spend more time than dissecting the ideas in class. So this is two years um, of pandemic. And how are your students? My students are amazing. <laughs> They're amazing. They're, I mean, I, I think that of the students who come to class, um, and there's, you know, a key issue. There's the attendance has been very poor, but of those who come to class, because I create the groundwork for a discussion-oriented class, I find that they're really receptive to that, and they're excited a lot of them not all of them of course but a lot of them are excited to learn and engage in a conversation about the subject matter now I'm lucky because I teach a subject matter which is super engaging right? so it's easy to get them talking about it but I think that students want to have that sort of engagement and I also think they want faculty who are who are aware that they face challenges and able and willing to give them the resources that they need. And when they find an instructor who they feel like really cares about their their success and well-being, I think that liberates them to 
really throw themselves into into learning in the classroom. I would say that by far my students are more excited to throw themselves into learning in the classroom than they are to necessarily do all of the work that they need to outside of class however so I don't want to <laughs> say you know hey. I don't want to <laughs> make Same. them sound like they're totally dreamy because there are many who are not doing the work they need to do outside of class but um, but there are many who are doing the work so they're fun I love my students they're awesome and I just will keep trying to encourage them to be the very best they can be and help that try and help them understand why that's so important like how this all fits into the big picture of their life they're not just learning this so that they can move on to the next thing they're learning it so they can really integrate it into their life not only the knowledge but the skills that they're developing in class let me just hand back to you something you said um you essentially said that there, you talked about the liberation of being cared for. Ooh. That your students were liberated once they arrived at a place where they were cared for by an instructor mm -hmm. um, and their classroom community. Does that, that strikes me as something that might chime quite deeply with your own values. Very much, absolutely. I think that people need to feel like they matter and that someone's got their back. And too often, for whatever reason, our students come to us with a slightly antagonistic relationship with their instructors. Instead of feeling like instructor is ally, they may feel like instructor is enemy and it's hard to break down that wall when it exists so I, I work really hard to try and help my students know that yes I am firm and yes I am rigorous and yes I enforce policy consistently but I also really care about them and their success and their mastery of our course material and that buys me some wiggle room I think so this has been a very forward-thinking conversation, you know, what bouncing between what is, what could be, what is, what could be. I know that you sit on the Strategic Planning Committee, which whose nature is to be forward-thinking. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell me a little bit about that committee and your role on it and, and what kind of work you, you've begun? So I was asked to lead the Strategic Planning Team on Delivering Excellent Instruction. And I was a little wary about taking on the responsibility because I knew it would take me away from teaching, which is really my passion. But I also felt like it was very important uh, uh, possibility to try and help faculty make the most of their teaching by leading this team. So I decided to take on, on the role. I have an awesome team. We have a number of what are called priority actions and I'm going to run through those because I think it'll give people a vision of what our team is uh, trying to accomplish. So our first priority action is to nurture a culture in which faculty are knowledgeable about and accountable for best practices in delivering excellent instruction. We also want to identify barriers to delivering excellent instruction. 
so that we can figure out what's standing in the way and promote solutions to try and overcome those barriers. We are hoping to promote a culture of preparing students both for the workforce and for further academic pursuits, as well as, or perhaps by way of creating a culture at the college where there's a team attitude, where everyone is focused on the same thing, which is delivering excellent instruction, right? So everybody in the college, whether we're talking about schools or pathways, administration, staff, faculty, or students, we want to develop, to try and figure out how to develop at the college a team attitude where everyone is focused on creating the best learning experiences possible for our students. So it's a really ex exciting enterprise, very challenging, and we're trying to figure out how to balance the, the, the many um, responsibilities that faculty have with the need to grow our practice. Not because anyone's doing anything wrong, but because we can all benefit from, from growth and development so that we can help our students better grow and develop. I've heard so much in those statements. I mean, just, I mean, the, the first one began with the, you know, very nurture. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a common uh, academic uh, pursuit uh, to nurture. Um, what, um, what are you hoping will happen? I'm hoping everyone will develop a passion for our mission of empowering students right that we that we can ignite a fire <laughs> in people to do the very best we can at serving our students and ultimately serving our local community our national community and our global community because the reality is without a well-educated informed set of community members, we're not going to be able to solve the challenging problems that we face as a species. And so I think that if everyone at the college can realize the important role we play, not just in, you know, getting classes to students, but really helping to create a, a well-rounded, intellectually capable citizenry, we could develop a lot of passion in our work. I've asked people this from different places over the college um, and I'm guessing that you probably have thought a good bit about this is what to you is a healthy community what does that look like a healthy community con it has a lot of components when I think about a healthy community I think a lot about the UN Millennium Goals and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And, and I think that a healthy community, number one, requires that we take care of the physical environment upon which we rely for our survival. But it also requires that we take care of the community members in in terms of like the human community. So we have to take care of the natural world, but we also have to take care of each other. We have to treat each other with dignity and respect. We need to make sure that people's basic needs are met so that they can be contributing members of the community. 
um, we we we've got to recognize that we can't survive and thrive very effectively when we're too independent. We need to be interdependent in our interactions. I feel like you could set those uh, all the bullets you just gave us on top of the classroom or on top of the college. Uh, and so as you think about this strategic planning work, um, how is it informed by your particular values and discipline? Ooh, that's an interesting question, Claire. I guess I never would have taken on the responsibility of being the team leader if I didn't recognize how important collaboration is and how important it is to give back to your community. Because I could certainly throw myself into improving my instruction and making my classes better and have more time to do that if I hadn't taken on this position as a team leader. But I realize that without other people being able to focus on doing their best as teachers, I'm not really helping my students at all, right? It's, there's got to be more than one instructor who's passionate or 50 instructors who are passionate about teaching and learning. It's got to be the whole faculty at the college. And we need to have the time and the opportunities to grow our practice. And my hope as the team leader is that we'll, we'll create that set of circumstances at the college where faculty can do that. And that includes adjunct faculty. And that's a tricky one to try and figure out how to, how to give them the opportunities to grow and develop when they're really quite burdened. <laughs> We began talking about um, when you were quite small and wanted to teach because you were so curious. You said, you know, there were so many whys inside of me. Uh, and, and you are. You did it. And you're doing it. And will continue to do it. So what what is alive for you right now? Where is your curiosity leading you? What are the questions that are animating you at this moment? And that's a, very, that's a very moment in time question, right? Because as time passes, our curiosity seizes on different things. So where are you right now? So in my work life, the questions that really fire me up are questions about what's standing in the way in terms of faculty being the best that they can be and not only the best that they can be at teaching but also having the most fulfilling work life right because that's that's such an important part of the equation we need to love what we do so that we can do it really well so what's standing in the way of that that's one of the questions. Um, another question is how do we adapt as faculty and as an institution to a, a student body that is always changing? 
um, more so even because of the pandemic and because of technological innovations and the allure of uh, all things digital, right? So how do, how do we how do we interact more effectively with such a changing student body? That makes me curious. How do I, what are the threats that we face as faculty to the open discussions that we have in the classroom? How are things like um, the, the clamping down on teaching of critical race theory going to affect what happens in our classroom? How are the, the constraints being imposed on teachers at lower levels of education that relate to things like sex and sexual orientation and gender orientation? Is that going to flow up to our level? And how on earth can I possibly teach a sociology class if I can't talk openly about anything from all different kinds of angles, right? I don't know how that'll happen. So those are some of the professional questions that provoke me. Outside of my work life, the questions that constantly inflame me are how do we solve these massive global social problems like plastics in the environment and global climate change and destruction of the environment, but also the the ominous social justice issues that we face and the threat to democracy that's going on all over the world. You are alive with questions. I am. Uh, <laughs> I could have kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that that's the kind of dynamism that I hear will reach, like you say, into the teaching, into the committee work, into your own community people you're in community with as you say what's going on here you know how how are we doing things how could we do things what's happening what what's next um and so since we're in a space you know where we're here to speak and be listened to by the mtc teaching community do you have any questions that someone else could answer in other words um you know, this is sort of a chance to reach out to the community and say, hey, is anyone doing this or asking these things? Or, you know, um, is there anything that you'd like to say? Maybe if you put something out in this podcast, we'll get an answer and you'll make a connection that maybe because no one had heard your voice before. Wow, that is a liberating question that you are offering to me. <laughs> so I would like to know from faculty what's standing in your way from being the very best teacher that you can be. What motivates you to do the very best work that you can? And from administration, I think that I would like to know how strong is their commitment really to building a community of respect and solidarity? What are they willing to do to make that happen? What's the organizational structure at the college so that everyone can understand it more clearly so that we can appreciate the value that everyone brings to the college and figure out how we can work better to achieve the goal of empowering our students? I guess the bottom line is what's standing in the way of us being the very best in 
institution that we could possibly be at empowering our students. Maybe we'll hear some answers. That would be fun. Wouldn't that be great to just hear some great. voices? Yeah. It would be amazing to have a more open dialogue about some of these issues. An open, honest, fruitful dialogue instead of people being a little distrusting of each other and not willing to communicate as openly as they could. We could solve a lot more problems, I think, if we had a more open dialogue and a sense of trust. Sounds like you once again suggest the liberation of being cared for. Oh, Claire, you're very good at pulling out the big themes. <laughs> hey, you know, these, <laughs> these language and literature people, what can I say, you know? <laughs> really go for those words. Um, but that's what I've heard from you this entire time, is that if there is a container uh, people will move in and once there if they are safe they will become curious mm. and then once they're curious things happen yes you're you're adding to my dream from the world <laughs> a world that that offers more opportunities to be curious it's nice to dream together. That is. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. This is uh this has been a joy. I have really. thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I'm so honored that you asked me to participate. I've loved having these conversations over the last months. I'd like to have more of them, especially that aren't recorded. Reach out to me, MTC faculty. I'd love to talk to you. And thinking about today's conversation, Christine mentions the Voluntary Simplicity Movement in our interview, and there are resources on the episode page that detail this philosophy and practice. She recently laughed and told me how nice it was to talk about something she loves to talk about but rarely gets a chance to. I think that's a great thing to ask fellow instructors. We know that we all get asked about our specialties, but what do we also want to talk about? Perhaps this podcast can be a place for these discoveries. And as the chair for the Strategic Planning Committee for Delivering Excellent Instruction, Christine reached out to all MTC faculty, asking about your experience. If you'd like to share some answers, please go to the episode webpage and respond. This episode is the last of the conversations with instructors at the college for the season. Next time, our final episode of the first season will be a little bit of time with my fellow Center for Teaching Excellence members. How do they see themselves as part of the instructional ecology here? Who even are these people? I hope you'll join me for that last episode to hear from us as fellow members of this ecosystem of instruction and how we hope we can tend to our connections and create success for our students and for you, our faculty. Join us next time close to the heart of summer and its solstice in the web of our community.